Is your prostate waking you up more often than your alarm clock? The fact is, the older you get, the more likely you'll have prostate problems, which can affect your everyday life. That's where Prostate Complete by Real Health comes in. Prostate Complete is the result of 20 years of experience as a leader in men's health. The powerful formula in Prostate Complete supports natural prostate function and reduced urinary urges for a better quality of life. Available at Walmart. Visit ProstateOnePerDay.com for special offers. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You are listening to Real Men Feel with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but all men can benefit from. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. You know, I don't think we realize how important healthy relationships are to us. They, they're they vital for our mental health, our emotional health, even physical health and happiness and, you know, really our survival. You know, we are social creatures. We were not designed to, to be alone. And positive relationships can bring, um, can fill our lives with more happiness, success, support, encouragement, stability, trust, and just so much more. And poor relationships or an absence of relationship can really make our lives seem absent of all those good things. So today, as you may have guessed by now, we're going to talk about relationships. And my guest is G.S. Youngblood. He is a coach and author who's been involved with men's work for a dozen years. He has a new book called The Masculine in Relationship, A Blueprint for Inspiring the Trust, Lust, and Devotion of a Strong Woman. So welcome to Real Men Field, GS. Yeah, thank you, Andy. Glad to be here. Cool. Yeah, I was, uh, I was checking out the reviews you have. You, mm-hmm. You've got, it's like all five stars and people are really praising yeah. the, how actionable this book is. Yeah, I've got to tell you, I am so pleased with the, the reception that the book is getting. When I wrote it, it came from my direct experience. Uh, of both doing it the wrong, the wrong way and the right way in long-term relationship. And so everything I write about I, is something I went through myself. And so it felt real to me. It felt relevant to me. But to have men, actually men and women, write me and say, wow. The men will say, wow, you've really clarified a lot of things. This resonated. Or the women will say, uh, "Like, wow, you really get us. And you really get the dynamic and what we're needing and what would light us up. So when I get those those emails, I love it. It's very very gratifying, uh, uh, a very gratifying end to to six years of writing, and, oh, wow. and it was a long road. Cool. So I wanted to ask you what got you to focus on relationships. So it sounds like it was your own <laughs> own wonderful experience with them. <laughs> failure, failure is my fuel and motivation. <laughs> to tell you the truth, I I was married for ten years, and um, that marriage ended in a pretty horrible way. And by the end of the marriage, I I was emasculated. I'm, I'm okay to admit that because it's true. And what that meant was I was just dancing around trying to stay out of trouble or keep her happy because it had gotten so toxic. And I thought that would make it better. Actually, that makes it worse. It really makes things a lot worse. And so I learned from that um, how to do it the wrong way. And then I spent the next 10 or so years in, a, in another long-term relationship uh, with a woman who was very strong and very feminine. And uh, through practice of, you know, in relationship, I slowly started to learn the right way to do things. 
and also a lot of men's work with, with people like David Data and John Wineland and, and others uh, in parallel to that. And all of those learnings I codified into, into the book, Masculine in Relationship. And uh, so it's a very, very personal work for me. And as I said, the, the, the motivation was my, my failures. And you talked about how you've gotten great feedback from both men and women, but mm-hmm. the audience is intended to be men? Yeah, this is mostly uh, intended for men, but I, I will tell you a few women, somebody wrote, wrote me on Facebook the other day and she said, I'm reading your book because it's helping me give voice to what it is that I want and what it is I expect or need in relationship. And mm-hmm. so even, even the women are, are interested, but yeah, it's primarily for the men. Cool. And you mentioned that that first marriage ending with you being emasculated, did that happen through the course of it or were you kind of, did it start in that, that energy from the beginning? Well, it was over time. I'll, I'll admit when, when children came, it sort of um, created a little more overcapacity in the system uh, than we had. And it just over time, um, she would naturally have dissatisfaction about certain things, which is, which is, you know, normal for any relationship. And I didn't know how to receive that. I took that as criticism. Um, I took it as I'm not good enough. And I didn't have a sense of my own self-worth. And so I wasn't receiving her pain and I take responsibility for that. Um, not that it was the only dynamic. It's always 50, 50, but if you're not receiving your woman's pain, if you can't hear it, validate it and make space for it, increasingly over time, she's going to turn up the volume on you. And most men, present company included at that time in my life, our responses are number one, to withdraw and shut down. And I, you know, the nature of your podcast, I know you get that and, and understand that. Um, Worst of all, we get defensive. This is the granddaddy of all reactivity is defensiveness. And, and you know, if you want, I could go on and on about defensiveness because I think it's such a core central issue. But these are the things that we do, and it leaves our women, women feeling abandoned. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very, very painful for them. And so over time, the, you know, the couple will start to separate even with just that single thread of a dynamic between them. I mean, we're talking about primary relationships, mate relationships, man and woman relationships, but being heard and not taking things personally, I mean, these are to, to master those takes you in great places for all relationships. Absolutely. Friends, family, business. Yeah. yeah. You'll find yourself more, as soon as you master your own anxiety, which is at the core of, of our reactivity, and it's really at the core of any of our non-masculine behaviors is this thing called anxiety. Um, if you can learn to t- tame your anxiety, everything will change. You will be more successful at your job. You will be more successful in your friendships and, as you, you know, and more successful in your relationship first and foremost. And so, you know, the question that, that, re- that listeners are going to have is, okay, great. Sounds good. How do I tame my anxiety? And I go through a lot of this in the book. Um, uh, one of the chapters is on emotions and, um, I know it's become very much part of, of mainstream media that, um, you know, hey, guess what, men, you have emotions. I think we're all starting to get that. Whether we've mastered it is a different story. But uh, in my chapter on emotions, I really try to take, a, take it through the lens of building your masculine core. So I, I think I've got a little bit of a unique take on uh, emotions. So getting in touch with that is uh, no, step one. And of course, I know you know that again because of the content of your podcast here. Um, but two is an embodiment practice. And this is the thing that a lot of men don't understand is how a daily embodiment practice 
can really start to change your your level of reactivity because you know reactivity is just it's listening to the stories in your head you know you get an input your woman's upset for instance and um, you know you have a story that pops in her head that she's being unreasonable that she's being a bitch that she doesn't you know respect you those are all stories and as you stay in your mind you react to those stories and that's the core of reactivity whereas an embodiment practice teaches you to naturally have your attention down in your body. And for me, it's the number one thing that has uh, changed my orientation in relationship is, is my daily embodiment practice. And just like guys go to the gym or go out and run, this is something you've got to do on a daily basis. You know, one time won't help you. You've got to do it on a daily consistent basis. And so in the book, I go into some suggestions for embodiment practice and uh, this will definitely be an area of focus for me of, of sharing my own daily practice and, and the different types of things that I do and the reasons I do. So that's that, you know, circling back, that's another path to taming your anxiety. And once you tame your anxiety in that moment, and I call it the moment of choice, when you are presented with some stimuli, some input that is challenging, that moment of choice, if you have tamed your anxiety, you're, you're going to be more present. Uh, you're going to be less reactive and you're going to be more insightful and your woman's going to feel you more. She's going to feel you there. And that's the, that's how she feels loved is when she's upset, she feels you more present and actually there with her. So this is a really, really important topic. We could go on for hours. Yeah. When we're, when you're not full of anxiety, when you're not just completely reactive without awareness, you can truly be responding to the issue in front of you, not, an argument from 10 years ago or something that happened to you as a child. And yeah, exactly. It's so true. And we all do it. It's just human nature. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot of the focus on that in the book. There's a whole chapter on anxiety and threat, Mm -hmm. um, which really tries to go to the root because what I don't want men to do is think that they've got to mimic behaviors or kind of will themselves to be a certain way. Like don't even do that. That's just chasing your tail. You've got to go deeper down into the inner core where that you feel that sense of threat that gives rise to anxiety. And so I, I go through that and different examples of how that plays out and uh, really try to, to go to the source of these behaviors rather than, uh, t- you know, just teaching men to, to copy them. Right. Yeah, right. Because that's really just exchanging your existing mask for a different mask that you think will be better accepted by somebody and it's still not you. Exactly. And even, I think, even more so, in times of stress, you're going to lose it. You're going to regress back to your normal pattern anyway. So you can't just, in times of stress and challenge, you just, you can't hold on to it for the most part, unless you're really embodied. Cool. So you mentioned a couple of terms that I want to get back to. And, and as you said, non-masculine behaviors, which is not a phrase that I'm familiar with. So could you um, kind of explain or define that? Yeah. So the, the best way I can do it is to contrast it with what I'm describing in the book. So in the book, there's, there's the thing I call a blueprint. And I talk about it on every single video and podcast that I do, because it's, it's the framework I want men to understand. It's the framework that makes it actionable for them. So the blueprint has three parts. Number one, respond versus react. Number two, provide structure. And number three, create safety. So your question is, okay, what what is a non-masculine behavior? Well, non-masculine behavior is when number one, you're reactive. So reactivity can play itself out in many ways. It can, you can be sort of fidgety, you know, like physically you, you, you kind of plays out and you, you know, those guys, they sort of move around a lot and you're, and it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to us, let alone the women. Um, they could talk too much or sort of incessantly. 
um, and they can get defensive, you know, shut down, all the reactive behaviors. So that's a, those are all non-masculine behaviors when you're reactive rather than choosing your response. So that's one. Two, in contrast to the second element of the blueprint, which was provide structure, the opposite of providing structure is to just kind of asking your woman what she wants and then trying to give it to her or trying to guess what she wants and then do that because you think that it'll make her happier and keep you out of trouble. And you're not actually providing any direction yourself that's tapped into your needs, your preferences, your boundaries. So to not do that is the nature of, an, of another non-masculine behavior. And then finally, create safety. Um, if you're not being the provider, if you are not being the protector, and if you are not making her feel emotionally safe, which I go through in depth in the book, um, those are all non-masculine behaviors. And so again, not validate, you know, your woman's upset and not validating her is going to make her feel unsafe. And the reason you're not validating her is because, you know, in some, she's upset and you kind of tense up and you go into your threat state and you haven't tamed that. And so then you get defensive, then you get reactive. Um, right. Those are all things that make her feel not safe. So those are the, those are the nature of, of, of different types of non-masculine behaviors that I talk okay. about in the book. All right. And when you speak of the masculine core, then is that being... That's is that having all those three plates in yeah. place? Yeah. So when you're, when you're living the framework, when you're responding, not reacting, you're providing structure, you create safety, that's yeah. the masculine core. Yeah, that's my, that's my view of it. And, and what I set out to write in this book was something that's actionable for guys. You know, we just, we just, it's like, tell me what to do, man. You know, tell me how to do this. And there's a lot of books out there that speak to masculinity, but I found that they fell into two categories. One was sort of fuzzy spiritual guide, which some people can really absorb it. I, I happen to enjoy those, but I also know that they're not fully accessible to the, to the, you know, average guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's the alpha male books, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, be more confident, take charge, take, pick up your balls. And I just read that stuff and my eyes roll because it doesn't tell you how to do anything. Um, so I really uh, intended that the book be very actionable and hence the blueprint. Cool. And so you mentioned six years to write the book. Was the blueprint something that you stumbled on late in the process or did you always have that? You had that masculine core and then you're trying to structure how to get yeah. there for people or? Yeah, I, I wish, <laughs> I wish it had popped up early on. It would have made <laughs> an easier task. No, the, the process was just, it was really 10 years of taking notes and then writing. Um, but six years of, of going at it with more intention and I didn't know. I just, I wrote down patterns that I saw every day and I would send myself an email. And at some point I literally had 400 emails in the folder uh, for this. And so, you know, over time I began to see the themes and over time my desire to make it more actionable grew because I, I knew it needed to be very accessible. And, and so it was, you know, a few years into the process before I even started to see this, this, this blueprint emerging. And, uh, and then it fell into place and then it really allowed me to focus the, the, the topic, the uh, content after that. And in your own experience or, or in clients you work with, has there been one part of the framework that has been more challenging than the other two to, to embody? <laughs> um, let's see. No, they're, they're all equally challenging. But what I will say is this, a lot of guys come in and they're in the mental mode. And for, for 
I have to, to, do, to focus on respond versus react, we have to go back to the drawing board. And I really have to get them to start to feel what it's like to be in their body. And that's, that's hard because, you know, we're so mental. We go to work every day, we're thinking, we're making decisions. And um, it's hard to get guys to stop and get into their body. So that's usually the, the most difficult uh, for me if I had to pick one of the three. Right. But the, re- the reality is, you know, man, they're all tough because when you're in that moment with, with your woman and if she, you know, if she's a woman of substance, which most women are these days, um, it's really tough to embody these things. And so we can, the guys can get it in the sessions, but then they go and then they fail. But you know what? That's totally natural. It happens to all of us, including me. Um, and you just keep at it. So it's not a read the book, I'm all done, everything worked great. It's a, uh, it does take some effort and, and perhaps years of effort. Yeah, it really isn't. Yeah, men, please, you know, to your listeners, I say, please, it's, it's more than just reading a book. You have got to, uh, you've got to do the embodiment practice and you've got to do this, you know, over and over and over. And it takes time. It's going to take you five years of good effort to go from being kind of the normal semi-emasculated, you know, man to somebody who's really sitting in their own power. It's going to take a long time. So you've mentioned woman of substance and strong women. Is that all women or a subset of women? Like what, what, what is this? What is the strong feminine? What is a strong woman to you? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a broader answer and then I'll answer the specific question after that. A lot of my motivation and particularly the motivation for the title came out of my men's group. Um, I've got a pretty large men's group that I've done for a few years. And men come in and, and talk about their stories of just like, they want to be more in their power, but she just, you know, she's a force of nature. She just steamrolls and she gets really intense. And these guys just, they, they didn't know how to, how to you know, um, not get on top, but they didn't know how to go into a leadership position because she was just on fire all the time. And so that's today's woman. They're capable. They're in the workforce, uh, more and more empowered, you know, and um, they're every bit as competent and capable of us at leading their life and a relationship. And so men are, are sort of, uh, you know, a little bit afraid to, to step up. So that strong woman is somebody who, who knows what she needs. Uh, she, the strong woman is, is know that she deserves to be treated in a certain way. Um, and um, is not afraid about stating that and asking that. And in my experience, that is that is a lot of the women these days. Almost, you know, most of them, I would I would say. So those are the qualities uh, of a strong woman. And it is here's the core of it. The in today's world, you know, because men and women are there's more equality. Um, you know, how does a man be in his power? And I think there's a, there's a false dichotomy that people sense that it's like, okay, are you in charge? Am I in charge? It's like a zero sum game in a lot of people's minds. So I intentionally wrote this book to, um, to have a, a model of masculine power that didn't take anything away from feminine power at all. So it wasn't about controlling. It was really about embodying clarity in your life and direction. Um, so that, that's my hope for this is that this is a model of masculinity that exists in today's me too world in today's world of more gender equality. And it doesn't subjugate, it doesn't encroach, uh, in any way on feminine power. And so the two can now coexist, uh, in my view of things. Cool. Yeah. That's a one, the big question I had. So we're saying that a strong feminine 
kind of wants to be met by a strong masculine. And it's not about being in battle. It's yeah. about both being, both being in their core, both being in their strength. Yeah, exactly. Just, just imagine the man, he's with a strong woman and he shows up and he's grounded, you know, he can take her upset or her little jabs or anything like that and stays very present. Then he offers direction. So in the book, you'll see me use the tango analogy. You know, in tango, um, which, I, which I, I do, maybe not very well, but I, I do it, you know, the lead is, you know, the lead is not moving her body like, all right, we're going this way. What the lead is doing is opening and creating space, and it's an invitation for the woman to move through. And so it's leadership as an invitation as opposed to a compulsion. So imagine the man that shows up and he's embodying those qualities that we talked about in the blueprint. You know, none of that takes away from, from her, but she's going to feel great because that is him providing some leadership in the relationship. And then also to important to lead, be confident, take ownership, but also not to take it personally. If all of your great suggestions for an evening are, and the woman says, yeah. no, nah, I'd rather do this. Yeah, or I, I don't want to go at all. Yeah, I love that you said that because that is a lot of that's a way that a lot of guys collapse mm-hmm. because they have so much stake and they 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 start to identify their ego with leadership and so when she says yeah that doesn't feel good or that doesn't seem interesting then they get a little hurt and then you kind of you can collapse and so I love that you said that of like oh okay baby well actually how about this you know and so he just stays grounded and, and doesn't take her no as a rejection in any way. Right. And I'll tell you where that's most important is in sexuality. You know, her no, whether to sexuality overall or the fact maybe something in particular doesn't feel good is a way that we really could get hurt and collapsed. And I've got a whole chapter on, on uh, sexual leadership in the book. And hmm. we talk a little bit about that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I know you've taken, uh, you, mentioned the, you mentioned tango and you take things from a lot of different places that kind of most most books targeting men aren't taking from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've got a lot of stuff in my background and try to try to learn from all of it. Um, you know, I've learned from my Silicon Valley career. Uh, I've learned from the BDSM workshops that I've taken uh, around that power dynamic energy and how do you play that in, in a healthy way um, into your relationship. And then Tango has been a great influence as well. Um, and the authentic relating stuff that I did uh, a lot about 10 years ago. Was it that that breakup of the marriage that first got you digging into men's work, or yeah. were you? In, all right, yeah. so it did. So was that you had you had to feel the pain of your own? Oh yeah, I did, and and I remember very distinctly. Uh, I very distinctly it was a workshop with the authentic relating guys, and one of my early mentors, Decker Kunoff, um, was the first guy that showed me I had emotions, and uh, I I think I cried the entire weekend, <laughs> but it was at the end of my marriage, so it was a tender time. But that was the that was the fuel for me. Um, there is nothing like a, a relationship ending to uh, to motivate you, and that's you know I got to tell you, Andy, that's why I wrote the book. I want men to learn from my mistakes and my learnings, and not have to go through what I went through. Yeah. And especially, especially if they have kids and they're married, I don't want. If I can save, you know, if I can help contribute to one family being able to repair and those parents staying together, like I'll, I'll feel like my work is done in some ways. Um, and I see it all the time, especially with, with married with kids because it's so stressful of having the kids, but you see it all the time. You know, they're out and you see the couple and they just, they're, you know, she has so much contempt for him and he's just, you know, he's dancing around trying to figure out how to not be in trouble. 
And it just breaks my heart because that's a marriage headed for, for an end when a man just completely emasculates himself. Mm. Um, I was at a volleyball tournament for one of my children and, you know, I, I, I forgot the question I asked the guy, but it was, I was talking to one of the dads and he's like, yeah, you know, I just try to stay in the background and, and let her tell me what to do. But he was talking about his wife. Yeah. And then I just, I just shook my head. And uh, I saw them later that day. And, and yes, she had contempt for him. <laughs> I mean, it was so predictable. And so men, please don't ever fall into the trap of, you know, I, I'll just, I got to go ask the boss, you know, I just sit in the background and, and do what she tells me. Like, don't ever do that because she, over time, she will become more and more disgusted with you. And um, you think you're making her happy, but you're not, you're, you're killing her quite frankly. Mm. So it was, it, it's those kind of couples. If I can help those men, help them stand in their power a little bit. And you know what's going to happen? Their wife is going to turn back into the person they married. You know, remember when she was fun? Remember when she enjoyed sex with you? Uh, she was playful. Like that woman is still in there, but she's, she's beaten down by your lack of direction, by your lack of groundedness and your lack of ability to, to make her feel safe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I say this over and over in the book. Um, you know, men, you, you may or may not be the problem, but you are the solution. And the more that you change, the more that she'll change. So, you know, it, you really have your fate in your hands here. Right. Which is great news. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing news and it's scary because men say, oh shit, like, okay, what do I need to do? It's, it's easier to retreat and kind of just kind of write it off and say, ah, that's just the way she is. But um, yeah, so it's both an opportunity and a scary challenge. Because yeah. I think, you know, if, if someone has spent years trying to change their spouse, well, that doesn't work. But when you realize, oh, wait, it's me. Well, you know, you are the one person you can change. So yeah. that's what I mean. Like, well, that, that's the great news. You know, I, I do have, you know, I've heard lots of guys say, check with the boss and, oh, I do whatever she tells me. And I always take yeah. it like these bad, sarcastic, jokey things. And I never think like, wow, how serious are they? Mm -hmm. And is that how they're really living? Because because if that's that's not a that doesn't feel good. It's not a happy. Yeah, you know, it's it's just avoiding everything. Yeah, and it's kind of sad because they say it and they chuckle and you and they sort of put on a face that it's they're being funny. Yeah, and inside they're dying. These men are dying because they feel so disempowered, and it's it's really sad. And and so that like check with the boss is just it's the tip of that iceberg. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so in your experience is. Is every relationship salvageable or if a man realizes he's become just emasculated and has given up, does it mean he has yeah. to leave that relationship? Yeah, this is more of a dilemma than a question I can answer. And what I mean by that is, um, look, guys, it's 50-50. It's no matter what you think or what she thinks, it's always 50-50. You both bring something to the table of the dysfunction. Um, I encourage men to only think about their 50%. Like, don't worry about what, her, what she's doing. Because the more you think about that, the more you, you'll just be waiting for her to change. Mm -hmm. So focus on your 50% and absolutely give everything that you can. And if you, if you, you know, buy the book or buy a different book, you know, whatever, whatever your path and really develop your masculine core and bring some leadership. And then she's still completely dysfunctional after a number of years of you really bringing it, being vulnerable being in your power. If you do that for a few years and she's still um, not meeting you, then that relationship may not be salvageable. You may have to choose. But until you develop your masculine core and really bring it to the relationship and bring your leadership to the relationship, you don't know. Like You can't leave a relationship unless you've really brought it all.
Mm. Um, so I, I think Andy, the answer to your question is, you know, you've, you've got to really develop yourself, focus solely on that, bring it to the relationship and then see if that actually works. And if it doesn't over a number of years, then, you know, maybe you make a different choice, but until then don't give up. Right. Cause until then you haven't, you haven't given it your best. You haven't really given, yeah. given it a shot even. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Interesting. You know, you mentioned that uh, this this wasn't for alpha dogs, and it wasn't just a fuzzy spiritual guide. But mm-hmm. but in, in your own journey, it sounds like you've kind of have explored both of those as as ways to be or ways to learn from. Does that make sense? Is that right? Yeah, sort of. I think the um, huh, let's see. So yeah, I have had a spiritual path, and um, it's very it's meaningful to me, and is part of me opening, and so. I love this question because I just realized it allows me to highlight something that is, is number one is very important to me, but is, is, is sort of the center of my focus right now in my own life. You know, what, what men need to develop to be very compelling to women or your woman is both light and dark energies. Okay. So the dark energy is the part of you that can look at her and say, come here, you know, you can command her. And um, in a variety of, 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 of contexts, um, you know, sexuality is probably the most obvious one. Um, but having that ability to command her and guys, you can develop that. Just go find, just go find a BDSM workshop. Um, I, I'm happy to give recommendations and go develop that energy where you can just absolutely take charge. And, and while you're connected to her, you are in charge. And so that's a dark energy women love that. I can tell you that 98% of the men have no capacity for dark energies. And, um, I'm actually putting together a workshop on developing your dark energy because so many men I know, you know, need to have that side. And it is not me too. It is not, you know, feminism embodied in, in, in a certain sense, because it's absolutely you having that dominance energy. Um, but it's how you apply it that is, is important. So you don't just walk around in the world and then start commanding people. It has to be very situational. So I've done a fair amount of that. I'll continue to do a fair amount of that uh, going forward. So that's the dark energies. And then the light energies are more on the spiritual slash heart path. And this is, this is something that has taken me years to really tap into. Um, and it's, it's, it's the core of my current practice here in this moment is learning how to be more in my heart, to live for more from my heart. Um, and, you know, most guys have no idea what that means, as, as did I uh, a few years back. Um, but this is, you know, I'll give an example as a way of illustration, but, you know, your woman is upset with you and she's, uh, well, I'll say upset with me. Um, and so one way I can go is I can get defensive, or I can be upset, or I could just, or I could just like be the mountain that I think I'm supposed to be, the masculine mountain, and be very still. Um, none of those are going to really help her feel safe. But if I can actually love her while she's being really bitchy at me, like she's being mean, and she's being blaming, and she's got her facts wrong, and she's coming at me. If I can actually open and into my, just I'm just sort of pretending I'm doing it by closing my eyes here, but you know, feel my love for her and open my eyes and, and remind myself, no, this is the woman I love, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna be the bullfighter and sidestep. I'm gonna let all that energy go right by me, and I'm gonna stand right here and, and feeling my love for her. 
I've got to tell you, Andy, this is starting to become the number one thing that allows me to be less reactive. Mm. Um, uh, so it's, it's, you know, all the other things I talked about, about being more embodied and knowing my emotions, that's great. I'm going to put that aside. Simply feeling my love for the other person while they're upset with me allows me to really be much, much less reactive. And my, my last female partner, I mean, she just, she felt it. She felt it when I was in my heart. Um, and so this is something I'll write about more. I'm, I'm I'm in the process now, so I'm, my words aren't as, I don't have the clarity yet that I, that I want to, to explain it to other people. But I can tell you, uh, this will be in a future work and is a core part of my practice right now, being in your heart. So going back, you know, that's the light energy, you know, the, the energy of, of seeing the bigness of the universe through your spirituality, seeing, you know, living through your love, even in the face of anger. Um, that's the light energies. And I got to tell you, a man that can embody light and dark energies is absolutely compelling to women. And I've tested that with, with many, many powerful uh, tuned in women. And they all say the same thing. They just, they just melt when they are with a man like that. Yeah. And it, it, the description of, of, of loving your wife when she's really like in your face and angry um, to me, it feels like an exercise of unconditional love. Yeah. I like right? that. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm bypassing what's what you're throwing my way and just remembering that. And yeah, cause the way I explain this to people to, to get this is, you know, if they have children, like you, your child can crash your car and destroy everything, but somewhere you're angry, you're fierce, but you somewhere you still yeah. love them. And that, so yeah. that's, and when we can get that in a relationship, we can get that with a spouse, with a mate, that's truly where the, the, the magic really can happen. And that, yeah, if you can, you know, even despite, you know, I hate you right now, but I actually love you. And when you can be aware and have that dichotomy yeah. and not get trapped in, in just one aspect of it or not get pulled down. And it's really energetic. It's, it's being confident and grounded enough to stand in your power while someone else's power is really coming at you in an angry directed way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and not to be swept away by that. Yeah. I love the word that you use unconditional love. That's perfect. So thank you. I'll, I'll probably use that, <laughs> but um yeah, and, it, and it's, it goes back to that thing I keep talking about, the moment of choice. So she's coming at you. You have a moment of choice about how you'll respond. And what I've found is that if, you, you know, it's such a curiosity. Like, why do, why do I get blown out when she's upset? Like, this is just a person in front of me. She's not trying to punch me in the face. Why, like, why do we always get so blown out, we men? And um, a lot of it is that somehow the stakes get so high in our head you know, and we don't even know it. This is all up, uh, subconscious, you know, the stakes like this anger must mean dot, 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 that she thinks I'm an idiot or I'm incompetent or doesn't respect me as a man or is going to leave me, I think is, is what a lot of people have, that abandonment complex. And so, you know, the stakes get so big, so therefore our reaction gets just as big. And, you know, if somehow we can just take those stakes down, like, okay, I, I'm going to disconnect these, these stakes from her anger, you know, because they don't necessarily, one does not mean the other. And so if, if, you know, if we men, we can take the stakes down and just see her anger in this sort of absolute bubble rather than connected to these magic consequences. I think it leaves us more present to then feel our love, to then be more present and be responsive to our woman. Yeah. It's neat. This is making me think of uh, being more of a witness, which is a big benefit I got from when I started meditation. Yes. I think I started in 2007, 2008. Yeah. And, and one thing that I noticed I was changing 
was that the things that would trigger me often were emails, especially work emails. And mm. I remember reading things like, oh, you fucking idiot. Why do you, why are all these people so fucking stupid? And the same questions over and over again. God damn it. And I'm like, wait, what, this is just scribbling on a screen. Why, why am I having this emotional reaction? Yeah. And over time, realizing I stopped having that reaction. Yeah. I was like, wow, this, and then I realized if, if these people didn't understand things, if people weren't writing to me, I wouldn't have a job. Like, so now I'm like, oh, well, thank you for not yeah. understanding that. Let me tell you for the, what feels like the 50th time, but I'll try again. Let's try a different way. And I yeah. took everything as an opportunity as opposed to everything being uh, something for me to angrily react to. Yeah. Um, but it, it's very much in line with what you're talking about here. But that was a way that I began to really see it in my life first. Which yeah. Was that. Yeah, we, we all, pro uh, we project on other people's communications. I, I do this. This is actually something I just got in touch with um, in my last relationship. Um, where we project onto other people and I, I do it. I did it with my woman and I, and I've done it with work emails too. Yeah. So I'm with you on that one. And we yeah. sort of, you know, we project some intent on them and then we react to that. And so the ability to not project onto other people, particularly our woman, if we come back to this context, you know, don't project anything onto what she's saying, just hear it in the moment. And you'll, you'll find that it becomes much less impactful and, and scary. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, like uh, texting has become such a primary source of communication, and it is the worst. Uh, it is so difficult. I hear just your brother. Yeah. yeah, I hear your brother. <laughs> I have not met anyone that cannot. Everybody reads something into it that isn't there, right? Um, or you're yeah. guessing at the intention. What 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 did they put into this word? Or mm -hmm. or worse yet, you're trying to understand emojis <laughs> and, <laughs> and take that as and you know people react and want to you know plan their future of their life based on like misreading an emoji or even someone selected the wrong one, not what they meant it, and you're having a big brawl over an eggplant. Right? Yeah, look, I, I there's a painful resonance I feel with what you just said because my last relationship was with a woman who lived you know 45 to an hour and a half away, depending on traffic. So text was a big part of our communications and it's hard, man. Exactly what you said. It's hard. Um, and, uh, it, it, all you can do is, is handle your own projections. You know, you can't handle the other person's, but I, man, just, just be careful on written communications. Yeah. Um, be very, very clear and don't be casual because you, as Andy says, you know, you can, you, you never know how it's going to be taken and it's dangerous territory. Yeah. So I always tell people if it's important enough, actually call them. Yeah. Like, use the phone for what it was actually first yeah. invented for. Because, yeah. talk, I mean, talking about mask and core, like that makes a man stand out. Well, yeah. he called me. That's yeah. just, you know, I wanted, and you can, you know, you can butter it up. It'll, like, I, I, I miss so much. I wanted to hear the power of your voice, but it's really to help you to not yeah. get, to not put the wrong things on it and take things the wrong way. But just, oh, baby, I wanted to hear your voice again. I couldn't yeah. do it today, right? Yeah, there <laughs> but, you go. I yeah. love that. Very yeah. smooth. Yeah, it's, <laughs> It, especially when things get intense on the text and you start to feel them go sideways, get yeah. on the damn phone, yeah. <laughs> as yeah. you said. Yeah, yeah. It, you can cut things off early before they spin out of control on text. Yeah, yeah. I find the, uh, the fewer of our senses that are involved in any communication, the more space there is for uh, misalignment, take yeah. things personally, going down the rat hole. And, great uh, way to put it. Yeah, great way. <laughs> you know, I like that. And earlier you mentioned being at the, the workshop towards the end of your marriage and being convinced that you had emotions. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get back to that and like, how, how real was that statement? Did you truly not believe you had emotions or were you just didn't want to feel them uh, at, while you were growing up or what was that like? Well, I was, I, I was just deep into the business world and in, in a very intense job. And so it was just mental, 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 mental all the time. And uh, my, you know, I didn't, I didn't have emotion really modeled for me that well. Um, 
as a younger man or as a child. And so I was just pretty mental. And so I would sort of logic my way through a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, you're with a feminine partner. She feels that in half a nanosecond. And it doesn't feel good. It does not feel good when you withhold. And I know you know that, again, because of the nature of your podcast here. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's not that I didn't have emotions. I just, I didn't know how to deal with the scarier ones like fear, shame, certainly anger. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, le- I started to learn, you know, back at that time, yeah. 12, 13 years ago. Yeah, that, that's what I find a lot is I... If I work with a a client and have them, especially a man, focus all that mental energy, gather it all, and then let it drop down mm-hmm. into their heart and mm-hmm. have amazing experiences. But there's there's this fear of, you know, I think all men know they have emotions, but there's definitely a fear of feeling the ones that they've been hiding, putting away, perhaps were taught they weren't masculine emotions to yeah. begin with. Right. right. Yeah. yeah and, and I think doing work with other men is really helpful for that because you see another man doing it. It makes you yeah. want to be more vulnerable. So that, you know, men, please get into men's groups. Uh, please do work with skilled facilitators, all of those things. Um, you'll, you'll see that it's okay. And if you have a community of other men that are opening to that, then uh, it's going to make it easier for you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's where I've always been impressed for the competitive nature of men. Yeah. And it shows up in men's group when someone like admits to some scary thing, you know, yeah. slowly and begrudgingly. And then I was like, oh yeah, I mean, so yeah. we almost want to like, wait, I've had that too. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in, in practice with men, rather than, you know, trying to start off just with your woman, you know, if it seems a little scary, but what, what you'll find is that it, it, you know, it leads to a lot more capacity and, you know, men, it, there's, I find a common misperception of men, you know, that being in your emotion is like, you know, <laughs> you know, they're, they're just this sobbing and spits all over their face. And it doesn't have to be this, this thing where you're out of control and seeming, you know, just not in, not it, you know, in, I guess, out of control is how I would describe it. Like emotion can be really simple. Uh, and I think as you, exp- I, I go through a, a bunch of things around expressing emotion, but you know, the number one thing that I, actually number one and number two is number one, you never have to apologize or explain or defend your emotions, you know? So if somebody tries to make you do that, just like, no, that's just how I feel. And it's really end of story. Right. Yeah. It's not. A um, yeah, exactly. It's just how I'm feeling and I don't need to defend it. It may be irrational, but who cares? Um, but the second one is when you express your emotions, boil it down into two sentences if you can. You know, I'm, I'm seeing you do this and it's making me feel X or, or, well, there's better protocols for that. But when you do X, I notice that I feel, you know, dot, 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 and just leave it at that. And you don't have to go on and explain. You don't have to defend. You don't have to apologize. You don't have to run your mouth about for five minutes. Um, just boil it down and just put it out there and then sit back in your grounded state and see what happens. That's all it has to be. Really all it has to be. And a protocol that I will give you is the work of Marshall Rosenberg, uh, nonviolent communication. Um, he's very good at boiling it down to a protocol that is pretty, pretty defensible and is really based on just what you observe and then what you feel based upon that. And it completely strips away any kind of projection or story or kind of guessing or assigning or labeling an orientation to the other person. It just talks about you. So it's, it's, it's almost a hundred percent defensible in that regard. Mm. And, and one, one other tip I'd give to 
to people, not just men, but people kind of maybe exploring their emotions for the first time is a thesaurus. Because if you haven't felt it, you might just, you might call everything anger. You might be calling everything sadness, you know, mm-hmm. talk about, and the fear is I'm out of control. I'm just mm-hmm. sobbing. And, yeah. and, and I find that's more likely the longer you go denying, expressing anything. Yeah. But, you know, every life has loss and grief and sadness yeah. and excitement and joy and happiness. And, yeah. you know, if we limit one end, we limit the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And I, hearing you say that, I just wanted to share one more thing. Um, about my own journey and, and where I literally am right now in, in my own development is, you know, there's this phrase, a man of depth that, that, I don't know, there's something that I guess when I die, I'd, I'd like people to say that about me. And I've been trying to figure out what that means. And a big, big part of it is what you just said, Andy, um, in a slightly different way, but to be able to hold all the, all the joy along with all the heartbreak, the anger, the shame, all the painful shit and to actually, instead of trying to protect yourself from all the hard stuff of actually just step back and, and let it all in and be able to hold it all. And, you know, like be able to be, to love someone and also feel incredibly pissed at them or be, feel the hurt because they've broken up with you, even though, you know, while you still love them and, you know, can you get big enough to hold all that in? And I know this is where it starts to get, you know, fuzzy and spiritual and I'm okay with that. Um, but that is, you know, it's that level of capability to hold all the extremes of life and the emotional extremes of life that I think creates a real man of depth that is very compelling to women. Yeah. Yeah. And we are fuzzy and spiritual. We just are. No, some people yeah. discover that and they kind of yeah. try to live, live just there. And then that makes it for a rough life. Yeah. And also I'm an alpha dog and that's all I am. And no, I don't need spirit. And I'm not anything except this bag of muscle. I'm in charge. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't like it, I'll kill you. <laughs> right. To take exactly. it to the really exactly. extreme. And that, that doesn't lead to a happy life either. So yeah. it, it, you know, we are and can be both and everything in between. Yeah. That it to go back to dance. I, I've never tangled in my life, but that's the dance of heart and brain of power of leader of stepping back of spiritual of grounded it it's all a dance yeah and what you said is is, goes back to one thing i was mentioning the the light and the dark you know you got to have the spiritual and the and i won't say alpha i hate that term um, because it has such connotation but it's that dominant energy you know you got to have them both that's the secret and you know um uh, a lot of men say you know do, do i just need to be an asshole to date beautiful women because i see these guys and they're real dicks and, but they're with a beautiful woman. Is that what I need to be? And it's like, no, that, no, 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 that's not. Um, and the reason is because, you know, sometimes some beautiful women are with a man who's, you know, he's an alpha, but he's a dick because that's a man that lives by his own code and they'll put up with the dick part of him to get a hit of a man who lives by his own code. So, you know, for you men, how can you extract that, that, that one piece of his energy, which is living by his own code, and then couple it with caring and, and a real heart? That's the, dark, the light and the dark energies. And it's that combination that you want, just like Andy says. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the asshole, the alpha, um, there's one term I'm surprised you haven't talked about that I do want to bring up because it's mm-hmm. really hard to have a discussion of masculinity without it, but that's toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Is that kind of just the same? You, like, like, some people react and think, oh, that term means all masculinity is toxic. And that's not, 
how I take it at all is just an extreme. So yeah, if you're a dick, if you're an asshole, that's toxic masculinity. Yeah. Um, you know, it's going too far in anything, but I yeah. wonder what, what your views are. Yeah. Toxic masculinity and alpha dog um, to me are equivalent. Um, you know, the alpha is somebody who they're in charge and it's often because they're, you know, bigger, stronger, smarter, more, you know, richer, more powerful, you know, like they, they're, they're in charge for a reason. It's not that they, they haven't necessarily earned it in a certain way, but they, they do it by compulsion you know, by dominating over other people in a way that's domineering. Um, that's very different than a man that rises to the top because he, he leads, he provides clarity and he brings other people up. And, uh, there's a, there's a caring about the, the we here rather than just the, the me. Yeah. So toxic masculinity is, is, is dominance with no heart. Mm, and, like um, you know, it, so, but that's the thing. P- then people think, Oh, dominance equals, toxic masculinity. It's like, no, dominance with no heart. And, and of course that requires a lot more explanation, but I think you get what I mean. Yeah. No, I so it's dominance with no heart that is toxic masculinity. And so you can actually still be dominant in certain ways. It's just that you have to couple number one with context. You know, you have to bring it in the right context and it has to be a chosen context by both people. And you have to couple it with the heart. Um, and so that's, that's a very big difference there. So you can still develop your dominant energy and bring it out at the right times right. as long as you've coupled it with heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. That the whole alpha mentality that's permanently on is, you know, they can't be second to anyone. And that's, and right. I find that's driven more by an unaddressed wound. A fear is driving that as opposed yeah. to, again, like I believe, you know, all, all people are capable of rising up and leading in the right yeah. circumstances at the right time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if, if you're, if, if any man is the person that I must always be in charge, I must always be leading, then, then you're, there's something you haven't, you're afraid to look at that's yeah, yeah. requiring that. I, yeah. And in relationship that gets old. So yeah, guys, you, you know, you look across the room and you see the hot woman with the, the alpha guy. Um, but more likely at some point she's going to get tired of that yeah. and it's going to leave. And so, you, you know, you need to see the end of the story to see how it ends to really get true context for what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you want to meet, a, you know, these, your listeners want to meet a beautiful, capable, uh, substantive woman who wants to stay with them over the long term. You know, you don't want to fool her into it. And so right. you've got to make this sustainable. And you do that by, by coupling, you know, your strong, dark energies with the light energies. Yeah. Cool. So mentioned that this, this book really comes from your own experience and your own growth and journey. And I get that it, it's, it is a blueprint. It's full of actionable items. I, I wonder if there's a, a habit, a practice or a program, a, a book that you've read that, that really helped you the most and, and would like to share. Um, well, I can, I can comment on those two separately. So there's, there's practices and then there's books. Um, I, I, I think every man already knows my, my recommendation, but my friend Robert Glover's uh, book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, is a great one. Um, of course, David Data's book is awesome, and I think most readers know that. It's Way of the Superior Man. I mean, that's the, that's the book in this space. Um, but uh, there's other ones. Go back to Sam Keen, um, Fire in the Belly. That's a great book. Um, I really like that one a lot. Um, in terms of practices, though, this is way more important than reading a book. Um, I tried for about 10 years at first to meditate and I literally could not force myself to stay on the cushion. Um, 
And then it, it was something about um, the last you know, five years where I started to do even deeper men's work and got into communities that people were doing a lot of these embodiments of meditation and breathing practices. And so just seeing everybody else in this community so dedicated to it kind of just pushed me a little bit to get more dedicated. And so I have a morning practice that I do. I run through a specific protocol and it involves breathing, movement, and meditation and, and some other variances. I have a lot of different variety to my, to my morning practice. It's the number one thing that's made a difference for me. Mm. I can say that I'll just pause for dramatic effect, <laughs> you know, number one thing guys. And so, but you, it has to be interesting. So I, in my coaching, I, I coach guys how to develop their own practice and do it in a way that, that allows them a shift from when they couldn't really get into it. Um, if you just sit on the cushion and just try to meditate for 15 or 20 minutes, it's pretty boring and monochromatic, so to speak. So I try to teach a protocol that um, has some variety, has some structure. It actually keeps you more focused, um, but it'll have, an, it'll have a huge effect for you across all aspects of your life. And so I can't recommend a breathing, meditation, and movement practice enough. Cool, cool. And GS, I wonder, you, you talked about more writing, and this, I, know, I know that this work doesn't end um, until you end, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what are you looking forward to? It's a big question, Andy. Um, two things. I don't know if I want to admit the second one. <laughs> <laughs> um, this heart work that I've mentioned is really important to me. And there's, there's, there's an epiphany that's, that's waiting for me. And I'm, I'm slowly the light is going on, but I know at some point I just feel like something's going to click for me in this, in this and I'm going to become bigger than I've ever been in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And um, this is really deep practice, deep work that I'm doing right now on this, the heart side of things to couple it with, you know, other aspects of, of my persona. Um, and so I'm, I'm in that, I'm deep in that right now and it feels good. It feels like the right place for me. Cool. Um, I think I'm like a lot of your men in the world and we want to be truly met by a woman. We want to be with somebody that truly meets us. And um, that is something I desire just like every other man. You know, whether you're in a relationship or not, you're still longing for it. Mm. And um, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. Um, but I feel that longing. Cool. Cool. Well, yeah. I, ho I hope you alleviate that longing, find a solution <laughs> to the longing. No, yeah. That's way. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I want to, Jess, I want to thank you for your time today and thank you for listening, but um, how can people find you to get more information and, and is the book yeah. available everywhere or? Yeah, just get on Amazon and you can buy it. So, so a number of things. Number one, I, I hope people buy the book. I think it's helpful. Um, uh, number two, you can check out gsyoungblood.com. I've got a lot of videos and you can hear other conversations and hear me go into things. Um, over time, I'll have premium content that's going to be added to that site uh, where you can go deeper. And then three, get on the, I have two Facebook pages. One is a, one is the, a group page uh, and then one is my sort of public persona page. And what you'll see is new content is pushed out there. But on the group page, uh, very soon I will start putting reader question or uh, client questions in there, things that people have asked me. And then I'll just, I'm going to share my answer and, and then you guys can post questions. And 
as best I can with my with my time capacity, I'll answer those questions. So, you know, let's get a group of, of men who are in relationships supporting each other. And that's different from the larger sort of men's groups that are out there. This is specifically about, hey, I'm in relationship. It's challenging. And I'd love some support. And you can get the support from other men or from me. Cool. Cool. And then, of course, coaching as well. I'll, I'll do a shameless plug. Um, if you want to go deeper, reach out. Excellent. So uh, I'll have links to everything that's been talked about, all the books that have been recommended and, and mentioned, as well as links to, to GS's info, his book, the Facebook pages. Just visit realmenfield.org, the blog post for the show. In the show notes, we'll have links to all of that. So uh, thanks again, GS. Um, thanks for doing your work and thanks for sharing it with everybody because it, it takes both to uh, – to make the world of men a better place to be a man in. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thanks Andy. I really appreciate having on. And I, it was a lively conversation that I really enjoyed. Thank you. Beautiful. And thanks everyone for listening. Uh, I'm sure you took away some nuggets and most importantly, put them into practice, right? Don't just take the information, make a change in your life, make your life better and be proud to be a man until next time. Be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to real men feel. Contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.